When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In sports, if you want to be the best, there are no off days. Chris, did you know that the original rendition of One Shining Moment was sung by Teddy Pendergrass? I did, did you not. Know, did you know? I that? did not know that. Yeah, it's a good one. I, I, I spent uh, the last few minutes researching One Shining Moment in, in some detail because, of course, the anticipation of the of the Final Four here this weekend yeah. and, and then the championship game, and that's uh, that's a classic song. I thought it was Luther Vandross. Well, Luther okay. Luther has the main one. All right. But they've tinkered, and they've stepped outside the box, and, uh, you know, we'll get into that in just a okay. second. But welcome into the No Off Days podcast. He's Chris Cato. We got BK in the booth. I'm Scott Smith. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that if more leagues and more sports – could tie in some type of wrap-up song mm-hmm. like the NCAA tournament does, I think that would bode well. It's one of the things I look forward to. I know it's silly. It's just a music video at the end. We need, what but the way be... they edit it with the nap pops and a lot of Jim Nance and some big buckets. and The net cutting down. Yeah. Uh, what would the Super Bowl's wrap-up song be? Like, doesn't it have one? <laughs> uh uh, do they? No. Well, they go to Disney World sometimes. Yeah, I don't they, know. Yeah, they do that. They just need they need to find a song. I, and I, maybe that's a a, bug, a bygone era. But yeah, no. You mentioned the the previous singers. We've had Jennifer Hudson did it in 2010, and you know, no no offense to Jennifer Hudson, but mm-hmm. I thought that was the worst version. And they quickly jumped off that. They they pivoted after that. It didn't go well. They they had a lot of cutaway shots of her in the studio singing it. Which kind of, it wasn't about that, right? It wasn't the same. And then I think Neo did one in like 2016. Okay. And um, now, Luther's the man. We he, need a, he holds it down. I think we need a Snoop. I think we need a Snoop version. <laughs> I think that could be good. How would that sound? Well, it would sound amazing. I know that. <laughs> for shizzle. So this actually, that, sh- that song was written by a gentleman uh, named David Barrett. And, and like all good songs in American folklore, of, you know, in terms of like music history, it was written on a napkin at a sports bar. This guy's mm. watching in East Lansing, Michigan. He's watching, I think it was Larry Bird play a basketball game. And he was inspired in the moment. And he wrote the song on a napkin and he pitched it to a, a, a childhood friend of his named Armin Katain. Who oh, went on to name. work at CBS? Yeah. He was working at Sports Illustrated at the time. Wow! And and now every time, every year when that song runs, so next week when you hear that song run after the championship game, just think he's making about fifty thousand dollars every year just for going runs. to a bar and writing down lyrics that's on a what, napkin. Man, man that's, that's the American pays. dream. Always that's, be thinking of the next song, Chris. That's how I made my bracket picks on a napkin at a bar, but that didn't work out as well <laughs> not, as no, that song has no. done. The last, the staying power, not quite as good. All right, let's bring in Brian King. Uh, BK, did you know any of that history of the uh, One Shining Moment? I did not. Okay. That is very interesting, yeah, man. <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> this, is, this is what Brian looks like when he's lying. <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. I, I, I didn't know all that. I knew yeah. that they had different singers there for a bit, then they went back to the original. Yeah, no, I, there's something about Luther's voice that just it resonates. Teddy P was good. Uh, it was because his voice sounds similar to Luther right. Vandross's. But so, do you think that song will be as good 20 years from now, 25 yes, years? Yes, I you think do. It's yeah. timeless. So it's timeless. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's 
listen, the song is dated. I mean, when the brasses come in at the like, oh, it's very wow. okay. It's very dated, you know, in terms of the sound of it. But it's it's just classic. Like I hear that song. It's only for this. You right. know, it's not. If you look at like Luther's, you know, best of albums, one shining moment, sadly, I've, is not on there. You wow. Know? The ball is tipped, and there you are. And he's, I'm sure he's never sung it at a concert or anything. <laughs> I mean, you can't. <laughs> he just has a bunch of basketball players come out from behind the stage and start right. dribbling. Yeah. No. Wow. Yeah. There was no Luther One Shining Moment video. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it, it was just for this. That is, uh, wow, but, interesting. Yeah, what do we got on the big show? Are, uh, we, are gotta, we talking more Luther? Uh, we're talking a little bit okay. of baseball. Okay. Oh, it's so that time of year, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's about that so we time. got the uh, Rays general manager, vice president of player operations, Peter Bendix, yeah. joining us. He's going to talk about the outlook for the team this year. Pretty good. And then also we got a uh, Fox baseball analyst, A.J. Przinsky. I think wow. he's a Florida native. Yes, and so, Orlando. Uh, Orlando, that's correct. And uh, so we'll talk with him, get his thoughts on the baseball season coming up. A whole lot of baseball. And as we tape this, nope, opening day is not hit yet, but it's coming up on Thursday. It's happening. Yes. There's always excitement. Are you going to be here? Are you going to be sick on Thursday? Is yeah, that... I'll, be in the, I'll be in the troughs. I know sometimes you I'll like be, to. They've asked me to sing the national anthem and throw out the first pitch. It's, oh, I've been you. waiting on this. Yeah. So there's a lot of excitement for this year. And, you know, the Rays are an interesting story. I mean, as they always are. It's, it's, they're always the underdog. But when you look at that lineup, man, I mean, guys like Wander and Randy, I mean, there's a lot of talent. Uh, can the run production keep up? And then, of course, we know that the pitching staff is always going to be yeah. dynamite. So. Will they score runs this year? That's what we want to know. Yeah. Well, yeah. if spring training was any indication, I mean, there was guys. guy like Luke Rayleigh kind of yeah. came out of nowhere. Just they picked him up uh, at the beginning of last year. Luke Rakey now. Yeah. That's exactly that's correct. Right. Yeah. Luke Rakey. All right. And then maybe more importantly, we talked about the basketball bracket, but we have – we have the cereal bracket, right? The cereal bracket. We're going to reveal some stuff. We are down to the final two. Ooh, this is big. Voting wow. was intense this, this past week. Three, so. Have we been? This has been three weeks now. Yes, right? it has. Okay. Yeah. Just, just like the NCAA, just flown by. Yeah, right? So we need to find. We're going to find out if CTC beat Lucky Charms and if Honey Nut Cheerios, which I, the Princeton of the tournament, they were, yeah, they <laughs> if were they 11 could seed, beat right? Frosted Flakes. I think those were our. Frosted Four. Yeah, that was right. the Frosted Four. Do we have a name for the championship game? Uh, we we called it. Maybe over the next 15 minutes we'll figure it uh, out. I came up with the Cereal Bowl and put like a Roman numeral okay. on the end of it, like right. Cereal Bowl One. And did the one look like, like a that. spoon? You shaped uh, it like oh, a spoon. Oh, I should yeah. have. I just did Roman numeral. Yeah. To like the Lombardi like Trophy, but a we, yeah. spoon. Yeah. So, you know, you can still, you have time while Scott and I are babbling. You can go back in. I'll go try to think. So me and Sean will put our brains together we and try have to come to, up with something. We have to find a way to, to turn this whole cereal bracket into a sponsorship from I can't, Kellogg's They haven't or called yet. Whoever. General Mills, yeah. call us. Where are you? I Post. Mean, look, yeah. We've been talking about cereal nonstop. It has been the cereal conversation du jour every day. <laughs> cereal consumption in the Tampa Bay market I and think Orlando it, market yeah. has skyrocketed. Yeah, they can't absolutely. keep it on the shelves. All right, very All right. good. Well, I think we'll, we'll even have a little taste test. Oh, great. Oh, good. Um, it's been at least a month since we've eaten on camera. And I think it's overdue. <laughs> so we're going to make that happen. All right. Appreciate it, BK. We'll uh, catch you in a minute. If you're listening and you want to watch, go to fox13news.com slash nodpod. If you're watching and you want to listen or subscribe, take out your phone, zap the QR code on the screen in the bottom right-hand corner. It will take you to all of our shows. Um, you might say the mouse is clicked. And there you are. You may not have a life, but you're a nodpod star. And all the shows, no one knows... Please accept our bribe and please subscribe. Go to fox13news.com slash nodpod and hopefully you can find 
our one shining moment. Do we have one? Do we have one shining moment? I think it was the episode where we <laughs> wrote comedy for Tom Brady. I don't okay, know. Right. Yeah, we're still looking for that one maybe shining it's, maybe moment. Maybe it's this one. All right, so we'll start with hoops in the Final Four. Uh, just like we all predicted, <laughs> five-seed San Diego State taking on nine-seed Florida Atlantic in the Final Four. And then on the other side, you got five-seed Miami and four-seed UConn. Um, obviously missing are any of the top three seeds. There's there's not a one seed. It seems like every year we have a one seed in the final four, yeah. at least. You don't even have a top three. For the first time since seeding began, no one, two, or three. That's incredible. Incre- it is incredible. Yeah. It shows, I mean, we everybody wants parity in all sports, right? You don't want a team that just blows the wheels off the competition each and every year. And I feel like you really have that in college hoops. Yeah, you do. I mean, the tournament style is always going to be prone to that. You know, a team can get hot. One player can get hot. Uh, I mean, they all have talent. They're all D1 basketball players. But, I mean, there's just nothing like the NCAA tournament. This has been the wildest um, March Madness I remember in terms of upsets, though. Like, not one one seed made it to the Elite Eight. Uh, we can use my Cato family uh, bracket Who's pool. Who's leading that, as by a, the way? Well, we'll use this. It's kind of a, you know, a, it's a microcosm of how this tournament's gone. So, out of 18 entries, only four people have one of the final four, and that's UConn. Four people, and that's just it. And so, we have my... Uh, our uh, family friend Tiffany Windsor. Hello, shout out Tiffany, loyal subscriber. Who Tiff- she's, Tiffany's my enemy. She's, she, she's, she's already been my enemy for the last couple of Tiff weeks. Tiff has already locked it up, which hasn't happened before. Oh, either. it's already done. She's no one can catch her yeah. because everyone. But uh, good news for you, you are in a tie with my 15-year-old nephew Evan. Hi, Evan. Uh, like, I'm gonna for crush a second. You, Evan. So, so second place in our pool gets a little bit of the prize money. Okay. So you could, depending on the tiebreaker the final score of the national championship game you could take money from my 15 year old nephew How that i will you? sleep very good at night okay. knowing that i took it from evan's but it's, it's been wild though you know i was thinking i can't name the coach outside of jim laranega at miami i can't name who's the been head there forever yeah you know usually you have at least uh, a, a calipari a, a uh, you know, Coach K obviously has been out a couple of years, but, uh, you know, Roy Williams is gone. And so you just don't have these big names and coaches. Mark Few, Gonzaga, he's not in it this year. And you also, like, there's not a lot of star power on these things. And I think speaking to what you said earlier, that's kind of the magic of it. It's even in this NIL era where players could have hit the portal and transferred these four teams, especially when you look at San Diego State, they've got four seniors that have played together forever, and you can really see that come through in how they play yeah. team defense. Uh, I think that's why you have some of these you know, programs that are not t- in major Power 5 conferences that can rise to the top. They've got that cohesion. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that some of those coaches are – they're going to be big names here soon because yeah. they're probably going to bounce to larger programs. I mean, uh, what Dusty is it? Uh, Dusty Ray at FAU. You got me. So, I don't know, and I, I'm sure he's going to at some he's going to get an offer. But I mean, but that's I think that's a consequence of what you have. You know, we've talked about this in college football too. You know, with, with players leaving early, uh, but in basketball, I mean, this is you have a leveling of the playing field now that you have kind of you have senior laden rosters that the experience shows up in a tournament style where as you know if you have guys that are one and done and they're gone it's it's hard to build some of that yeah so uh it's exciting i mean i think there is a lot of intrigue to it and it kind of draws in 
those that love to root for underdogs, and I think that's probably most of the people that watch the NCAA tournament, they want to see the Cinderella team. And so now, hey, we have essentially four. Yeah, it's I fun. Mean, I don't know if UConn is, um, but I want them to lose because they took out Gonzaga. And so, uh, Gonzaga, would, he, they were driving yeah. Gonzaga should have lost to UCLA, and you know yeah, it. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they should have. <laughs> that's the one that crushed you. I know yeah, that. I did. Well, we know that there will be no celebrating afterward because um, in the Division Two ranks, uh, a basketball team, what, what school is this, Ferris State? Oh, this is football. Oh, was this football? Yeah, this is football. They they celebrate a win in their locker room. They celebrate afterward? a national champ, Division two national championship. So not just any win, right? And they they light up a stogie, which is it, it, this is very common, right? Well, yeah, it has become. Well, and what happens? They get fined. <laughs> it's a fifteen thousand dollar fine for for the let's see for the school for two cigars. The head coach. $2,500 fine, plus he's suspended. And it's he's not just suspended for a game, Chris. He's suspended for the next NCAA like playoff game. That An important in. game. He has to sit out. That's brutal, man. It is brutal. But, you know, there is there's a reason for this. And it's because they were playing the Division II National Championship at a Texas high school stadium. Because, you know, those high schools in Texas have bigger football stadiums than many colleges. And so the high school district, the school district has a strict no tobacco policy on campus. Well, sure. So, and the coach did tell them, he came out and said later, even though they appealed this fine, he said, I did tell the players before the game, don't light up any victory stokes in the locker room because we can't do but two players they're so two, kids they're not going to listen and they carry cigars all the time right they always so, have stogies on them. but two cigars two players smoke cigars it cost them 50 you could buy a, some very good cigars with $15,000 I was yeah, thinking yeah I would imagine maybe quite a few uh, that's unfortunate I, I think that those rules are probably in place at every venue that any team you know I mean, maybe not in places every like every indoor venue is going to have a non-smoking policy. Yeah, these days, yeah, you're right. Like, I think you just kind of look past it, right? You understand. Well, it's a championship game. This isn't. We're, we're not. We're not allowing normal fans to come in and light up. Here's but, the problem. But if you have two people in the entire stadium that after winning the championship. I don't know. I think you look past it. I think you wave the fee. Maybe you say, hey, that's not a good idea. And then you just let them go. That's or, the way. Or you don't do this. You don't put it on social media. And no one, the world doesn't know that you fired up the stogies in the locker room. But then, oh, that's, yeah. you know, well, you don't get credit then, I guess. It's not as cool. It never happened if it's not on social media. <laughs> um, speaking of social media, uh, our friend Lamar Jackson, who is the talk of the NFL offseason, of course, hit social media the other day. Uh, to kind of set the record straight on where he is and and some of the truth behind the rumors uh, that we've heard, whether the rumors or not. But he, here's the thing: that I want Lamar Jackson to get a contract. I, whatever he gets is fine with me. But when when he starts talking about like the Ravens, like not uh, meeting his value, okay, so his value is totally subjective. Yes. His value is assigned to him by Outsiders, he can have an internal value, and maybe it doesn't match up. But to me, the story has gone on so long that I think I'm just uh, I'm over it. I'm just kind of over it. Like I really I'm tired of the Lamar Jackson news. And then I think that the additional aspect of him talking about uh, wanting or demanding or requesting a trade. I requested a trade. Yeah. I just. Like, does this resonate with fans? I mean, are, are Ravens fans still, like, as on board with Lamar Jackson after hearing all this? Like, do we stood by you? We want you to get a contract here in Baltimore. We want them to open up, you know, the, the vault and give you all the money. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you're requesting a trade now, 
well, now you're not our quarterback. Like, so are we rooting for you to get paid now? I don't know. I just think it's it's kind of counter to his own push is to get that stuff out there. What does the timeline say to you? Like, he says he requested the trade on March 2nd. Right. And then four or five days later, they slapped the non-exclusive franchise on him. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he now he doesn't have a contract, so there's no trade, obviously. They're not trading him now unless they re-sign him and then deal him. But this is prior to the the franchise tag i mean look i get it you can have those private conversations i just wouldn't i would not have aired that because i just think it doesn't look good for him well i feel like what it may say is that the ravens you know in that four to five day window before they put the tag on him they knew what the market was going to be and so that's why they were comfortable not giving him the exclusive tag and letting him kind of hit the street and see what his value is and you know we've heard jim hart jim Jim Harbaugh say at the um, you know the NFL executives meetings the other day that you know you, it's hard to tell if his coach speak but he wants Lamar back there he said they're tweaking the offense making it more up tempo to suit Lamar and I don't I don't know I kind of do believe that the Ravens are hoping he comes back and balls out for a year you know under this non-exclusive tag it it, it could benefit both of them right because Lamar could come back ball out for a year which I think he needs to do because he's uh, hasn't finished the last two seasons because of injury and I think that's one thing that's hurting him in this process oh, of course I mean but that's I mean there's the element of like the NFL not wanting to give players get fully guaranteed contracts and Deshaun Watson being the outlier and then of course Lamar is now clinging to that and saying well you gave it to him so now I want it but I mean injury is a big part of that and yeah. and so like the question is like can you stay healthy like can a can can a team that wants to invest so heavily into you and i don't know if if he wants 300 million dollars i don't know what the asking price is i know that there's been speculation that he's turned down a three-year 150 or 130 million dollar guaranteed deal that was three years uh there was one that was a five-year like uh two it was high it was like right. 250 and it was maybe a little bit more than half of that was guaranteed so I'm, I'm not sure what the actual offers were, but but yeah, man, I mean, if you get injured and we just lock you down for three hundred million dollars, you're handcuffing the franchise for the next six years. It would be a bad gamble by the front office. I think there are probably only five quarterbacks. Maybe that the dam is going to break eventually on these guaranteed deals. It's going to happen. I don't think this is the player it happens with. Well, and really, the NFLPA should be the ones leading the charge, not one isolated player in Lamar Jackson that doesn't have representation. Yeah. You know, he's he's the one that's trying to move the ball forward, and maybe a lot of players say, hey, man, it's commendable. Like, go do it. And, and he's looking out for the guys behind him. But at some point, the story just gets exhausting, and it's like you just wonder if you're burning more bridges along the way than – is it worth it? I think that is it worth it at the end of the day. I no. guess if he gets his guaranteed deal, then it's it's worth it. But I mean, I don't think he's getting it. I think the Jets should go after him. Well, I think there's the more Jet, upside the, to, for him than old Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot. I mean, this it, none of this is a knock on Lamar Jackson. Like no. the dude won an MVP. He is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But to be the first guy to ever get a fully guaranteed contract, I'll, I'll race the uh, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, that's Cleveland. That, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. 
to me, what is his value? It's going to be whatever he ends up getting. Like, whatever the teams will pay him, that is the actual true value of what Lamar Jackson provides. And the, the fact is, is that teams have to assess risk, and they have to assess the rest of their roster. If I'm paying a quarterback $50 million a year for the next seven years, even if he gets hurt, then the, that's money that's not going toward other guys on this team. That's not that's not helping me build a Super Bowl winner around you. You know, the, yeah. the year that the Ravens won the Super Bowl, it was a defense yeah. that was dynamite. That was, you know, that was what took them there. It takes more than one guy. The fact is that Lamar Jackson's been with the Ravens for the last five years. They've won one playoff game. Mm -hmm. And so if if he was with the Ravens for five years and every year they were right there at the game or they won a couple, then I think you, you're really bolstering your case for what your true value is. But if the team is not winning Super Bowls and you think your value is better than everybody else's in the league, then I don't know. Maybe it's time to reassess. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, they are reassessing things in baseball, Chris, because of all the new rules. Of course, we've talked uh, about the pitch clock and how that's affected games during spring training. And it's giving guys, you know, free bags because they've they've walked on on a at bat when the pitcher wasn't ready to throw in, in the appropriate time. Uh, we've seen a lot more stolen bases. It's it's certainly sped up the pace of the game. Has it appealed to you? Have you noticed the time change? I haven't noticed uh, in terms of watching because I haven't really watched a complete spring training game. I've followed, you know, reports and I've noticed that there has been a marked reduction in game time. 25 minutes, I believe, on average. I guess my overall question is, what's the big picture objective of this in terms of what's MLB trying to do? Are they trying to create a better TV show in terms of getting it in a three-hour window or attract more fans to the ballpark because you're not going to be there for three and a half, four hours. I would say probably the first. I think it mostly appeals to a TV audience. Yeah. You know, that is going to lose attention in a board game. I mean, I went to a Rays game the other day, and it was a one-zip final. The Rays lost the game. It was it was one of the most boring games I've ever watched, <laughs> and it was super, super quiet, but that's a different story altogether. But it, the game was over in like two and a half hours. Yeah. I mean, it was like, wow, that was that was really, really quick. I don't know that I loved it. I mean, it if, didn't if you packed you. a little bit more action yeah. in there, more hits. Were there stolen runs. base attempts? Were there, yeah, yeah, I, it's I tough know. to say, you were asleep. Yeah, I was. You were <laughs> asleep by the third day. You were in the I'm concessions sorry. line. But, but I think it's, I, I, like, I like it, but I think the better move is really to keep fans' interest the entire season rather than any one individual game because baseball's – you could have a game that has a pitch clock and it, it's paced very good, but at the end of the day, um, if it's not a compelling baseball game, people are going to tune out. It's I think it's the length of the season. Yes. Like I'd rather them trim that down from 162. And I know baseball purists are cringing, but I mean, if you're if you're trying to bring more intrigue, people want to see games that mean more. Oh, give and if, me if you get a one yeah. zip boring World Series, you're going to have a lot more viewers because of what is at stake. And so in a 162-game season, you know, people fall asleep in the middle of the season. That's just kind of how it is. Look, I've said this before. Give me that magical COVID 2022 season. 60 games? Like, right out of the gate, you're in the playoff chase. I don't right? like that. I mean, I, I want to see I, – I, but I think you could – I think you could carve out 40 games, and I think the baseball season would be more compelling. There would be more – interest throughout you know each game would mean a little bit more but um i do know that you know one of the things that they are serious about cracking down on this year i know it's a big big problem and you've probably noticed is that the ball boys and the ball girls are just way too out of shape three toed slots all they, of them they are they, like they are not 
pursuing with as much intensity the balls that get behind the catcher um and so no this is a serious story the mlb has actually given sent out a note to teams saying that we will be monitoring your bat boys and ball girls and if they are not up to snuff if they're not retrieving gear fast enough or balls that slip behind the the catcher then uh then we can actually step in and force them out you're gonna have ball boys and <laughs> bat boys and bat girls losing their jobs. Yes, is that what you're telling their jobs. me? Oh my goodness! Absolutely. What's the this, standard is high even for them. What's this gonna lead to? I mean, first of all, you would think stricter hiring standards for the bat boy, oh, bat without, girl. Like without they're gonna much. have to run like a, a shuttle drill or something. Yeah, I'm gonna need shuttle speed. Yeah. Uh, I don't need top end speed, so we don't need to do a 40 yard dash. But I need to see probably a, a 20 yard dash. Yeah. Uh, I need to see good fluid hip movement. Right. I need to see, you know, are your ankles and your flexibility mm. down in your knees? How is That's that important. going? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, grip. You know, exactly. you, you got to have a good grip because if you go and you get there quick, but you the ball slips out of your hand or whatever, then that just sets us all back. And we're we are waiting. Could we, this, are, we, we are impatiently waiting for you to hurry up. To get back with that bat. Does this open the door? I hate to even go there, but if a bat boy or girl is trying to cling to their job, does this open the door for them trying performance-enhancing substances? I mean, is this where the MLB is forcing them? Yeah. And I, then I, will you have to test the bat boys and bat girls? Well, they if they knew, they wouldn't because they're, 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 they're forcing the issue. It's like in baseball. If you, you want to see more home runs— well then, you're gonna have to you're Turn gonna have a to blind back, eye. You're gonna have to exactly. Oh the boy, it's gonna be an interesting season. Yeah, a lot of really buffed. <laughs> Gone DK are the days Metcalf. of the of the husky bat boy. Yeah, no, sorry, little Joey, it, it ain't happening, buddy. I mean, if if you would eat a little bit less cinnamon toast crunch in the morning, maybe oh. you'd still have your bat boy job. Joey's a bat boy after my own heart. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little baseball, and we'll dive in first with the Rays. What do you say? I love it. Another season of Rays Baseball kicks off this week, and we are pleased to welcome into the Nod Pod the general manager of your Tampa Bay Rays, Peter Bendix. Thanks for joining us. You know, we, we talk about opening day and the nostalgia, and for those of us that grew up fans of the sport, I mean, this is almost a, a sacred day, but I'm curious from your vantage point, uh, do you still get the same type of feelings that you did as a kid when opening day arrives, or is the job of GM and the, the concerns over roster and putting the product together, is, does that take precedent? I absolutely get the same feelings. I, I've gotten the same feelings for this is my 15th season with the Rays. And you're you're right. It's really the same feeling when I was 10 years old in Cleveland and watching the, the Indians at that point. It's just, it's full of excitement. It's full of potential. It's the representation of spring, all of the different positive emotions. And those those never change. You know, when you get to this point, of course, there's there's difficult roster decisions that have to be made up right right to the to the line there to make sure that your your product on the field is exactly how you want it. We see guys that you know a couple of position players that that made maybe the last two spots, uh, a, a Josh Lowe and a Luke Rayleigh. I know that you guys in the offseason made it a point to to pursue a uh, you know a, a bigger a bigger pop in the lineup, a, a bigger bat. Uh, and what you ended up with was getting a guy like Luke Rayleigh, somebody that was in house that has provided some of that excitement here, at least during the spring training slate. Uh, you know, what do you make of, of that situation of not, maybe not going out in free agency and grabbing somebody, but getting somebody in house already? You know, with Luke, when spring training started before games, actually, there was a lot of buzz around him, positive buzz from our coaching staff. Some of the adjustments that he made in the off season, they thought were really positive adjustments and to see his spring training results and to see him maintain the power that he's shown in the past while also improving on some of the, the weaknesses he had before the contact rate, 
to see him take to first base as well as he has and just the overall positive results. It's really exciting. And the season is different and doing it against, you know, big league pitching and, as opposed to triple A pitching is, is different, but we're really excited to see what could happen with Luke and with Josh um, last season, he struggled. And I think he would be the first to tell you that he has a much better understanding now of what he needs to do to be successful against big league pitching. That's the type of thing that's hard to learn until you actually face big league pitching. So very hopeful and optimistic that he's able to kind of channel some of the struggles he had last year into improvements for this year. Yeah, I know. I know Josh is one of those guys that you guys think very highly of, and uh, and hopefully this is the year that he is kind of a launch point for him. Uh, but when you look at some of the difficult decisions that you had to make in terms of of optioning guys back down to the minor leagues, you know, Vidal Brujan, Jonathan Aranda, can you give us a picture of maybe some guys down the road that Rays fans can be excited about that that maybe you anticipate some call ups this year and getting some big league action? Yeah, well, those two in particular are, are two good ones. Brew and Aranda are both really talented infielders, different strengths. Aranda is a, a really well-rounded hitter, and Bruhan can impact the game in a lot of ways defensively with his base running switch hit. Both of those guys are going to have an opportunity this year. It's inevitable there's going to be injuries. There's going to be you know, unusual performances. They're going to play a big role in what we do. I think Curtis Mead, he's another one to watch. He was in big league camp with us. We saw him struggle defensively in spring training, but we know he's a better defensive player than what he showed. We know he's going to work on that a lot in AAA as well. And he's a special bat. He's a special person. He's mature beyond his years. His work ethic is off the charts. Phenomenal teammate. Really excited to see what he's able to do this year and wouldn't be surprised if he impacts us sooner rather than later. Well, Peter, we're not talking raised baseball if we're not talking about the pitching staff. And it starts with the guy at the top, Shane McClanahan. And, you know, when you look at just kind of this meteoric rise uh, of how he's how his career has gone last year, starting the All-Star game was a Cy Young candidate. He's getting open in the rock on opening day here again. What do you make of of that quick ascent for a guy like Sugar Shane? It's incredibly impressive the where he's come from since he was drafted as just kind of a hard throwing guy who didn't really know where the ball was going. Then he made some improvements to get into the rotation in, in 2021 at a good year, right? Got hit around a little bit in the postseason in Boston in 2021. I think he took that personally. I think he then redoubled his efforts in the off season to improve, came in in 2022 and he was an even better version of himself. And we saw as dominant of a performance from a starter in the first half of last year as, as, could possibly exist started the all-star game down the stretch he he had a little you know a shoulder thing and he struggled a little bit he was still good and he still ended up having an excellent season but I think he's gonna take from 2022 kind of what it takes to maintain that level of dominance for an entire season and the way that he's just improved every step along the way I'm really excited to see what that means for his 2023 as you mentioned, you know, spring training is going to only give you a glimpse, right? You're not going against big league guys uh, 100% of the time. But, I mean, you guys come across after this extension to for Jeffrey Springs here in the offseason, and then he comes out and, and blanks everybody throughout spring training. I mean, my goodness, I, I don't know of a pitcher that's had a better spring training than Jeffrey Springs, but how excited are you for the season ahead for him? I'm glad that you brought that up. He was dominant. And he was just carving up guys, regardless of whether he was facing big leaguers, minor leaguers. He looked like he was facing high schoolers. And to be able to kind of master his repertoire the way that he has shown so far, 
and just build on what was a really sneaky good last season. He was a reliever a year ago. He hadn't started in several years. He'd never started in the big leagues. To transition to the rotation mid-season and to have the kind of results that he had was really impressive. And now to have an, a full offseason where he knows he's a starter, comes into camp, understands that he's a starting pitcher this year for the first time in however many years in his career, the early returns on that, what he was able to do in spring training, incredibly exciting. He's a really big part of what we're doing this year. The depth in our rotation, the depth of high-quality pitchers in our rotation, that's really key to us. Health is one of those things that you, you can't really control, but uh, when it comes to Wander Franco and the ceiling for him, of course, you, you guys and everybody really believes that it's, you know, sky's the limit. Um, but what are the expectations for Wander as he, as he kicks off into the season of Braves baseball? Wander has as much talent as anybody in baseball, and we've seen glimpses and flashes of that. Going back to the postseason in 2021, there were times he was, best, he was the best player on the field in that series. He has, you know, struggled with some injury concerns and just learning what it takes to be a big leaguer and play in 162 games over the grind of a season. <laughs> it's easy to forget how young he is, how young and how relatively inexperienced in baseball he is. I think he'd be, what, a college senior right now? <laughs> he has so much talent. He is constantly learning. And I think that this season we're going to see maybe a little bit more relaxed version of Wander the guy who who knows how to take care of himself, maybe just a little bit better than before. And if he can just let his natural talent shine through, I mean, the sky truly is the limit for him. Another one of those big bats is Randy Rosarena, and the world got to see it with the World Baseball Classic. And, uh, I mean, if if the if the Trop could, could pack out this year and give the kind of electricity that he felt in the WBC, man, uh, he certainly feeds off of that. But uh, what did you make uh, of Wander or uh, of Randy's kind of star rising on a stage like that? It was really fun to watch and not in the slightest bit surprising. After what we saw in the 2020 postseason, right. he is somebody who really rises to the occasion. And he did so once again. And I think he demonstrated some of the more well-rounded aspects of his game. He's working on his defense, which is a really important part to, to what he brings to the table made some incredible catches, gave great at-bats, the energy, the support, the teammate that he is. It's all fantastic. Now he needs to be able to just apply that consistently over 162 games. And that's a learning process. That's something that develops over time. But we see the amount of talent that he has. And the last couple of seasons have been excellent seasons for him. And to know that there's another gear, maybe another two gears in his game, even though he's already been really good, that's, that's really exciting. You mentioned you're a Cleveland guy, and uh, you have been with the Rays now. This is what you said, the 15th season for you? That's right, yes. You came in as an intern, and I don't know many of us that have started an internship and thought, man, we'll, we'll, take, we'll climb that ladder as quickly as you have or as steadily as you have, but when you came in as an intern with the Rays, wait, what, it's 2008? 2009. 2009? I missed the World Series in 2008, oh, yeah. But, I mean, take us through your career, your personal journey to get into the GM role. I was in the, the right place at the right time in 2009. Um, the Rays were looking to expand their front office because they had just gone to the World Series in 2008 and kind of realized that they needed more help in a lot of different areas. And so I came, as, came in as an intern, got to be kind of a jack-of-all-trades 
I, you know, taught myself some computer programming. I was able to go out and watch, you know, local amateur games with some of our scouts. I was in the draft room pulling the magnets off of the board. I was running to get, you know, 15 pizzas at 11 o'clock at night during those draft <laughs> meetings and just getting exposure to a lot of different things, a lot of different people. And then over the course of my time with the Rays, you know, I worked pretty closely with with Eric throughout that entire time and getting to learn from him and observe how he kind of progressed through the organization, worked really closely with a lot of other people who some of whom are still here, some of whom have moved on to other organizations, but getting to learn from the, the likes of Andrew Friedman, of James Click, of Heim Bloom, of Matt Arnold, and uh, the list goes on, seeing how each of them approaches their their job with such professionalism and open-mindedness and a desire to learn and grow, I've been able to just be fortunate to be around those people and to watch them do their jobs and to try to emulate them as much as I can while also being true to myself. And I've been really lucky to have the support from everybody in the organization. And this truly is a, a phenomenal place to work. And I'm, I'm honored to be where I am. Well, you know, in Major League Baseball, it's not uncommon to see young GMs and you're one of the youngest GMs in the league. Is it fair to is it fair to call the Rays GM University? I mean, is it GMU maybe? <laughs> I think we really do take a lot of pride in the fact that people who work here are able to go on to do whatever it is that they want to do even if it's not here it's you know it's player development but for front office executives and if we're able to keep them as raised that's wonderful but if they have opportunities with other clubs and they're able to to go on and achieve great things uh, that's that's wonderful too and it's a testament to the the development and the desire here from everybody here to develop those around them i think it's something that that Stu often talks about is try to make yourself obsolete Try to empower other people around you, help them grow, that you are now allowing them to do more, and then it allows you to do more as well. Well, you guys certainly have the secret sauce. I mean, four straight appearances in the playoffs. There's no other team in the division that can say they've been to the playoffs the last four years. Uh, but you guys, with a with a relatively low operating budget, are able to do it year in and year out. When is is it embracing a mindset of almost like a, a David versus Goliath? When you look at the other teams in the division, the Red Sox and the Yankees, and and what their payroll looks like versus your guys. I mean, does it take kind of inhabiting a certain mindset of the underdog? I think part of it is the underdog, but also a lot of it is understanding that we need to be doing things maybe a little differently than those other teams. If they have four, five, six times the revenue and a higher budget than we do, if we try to do what they do, they're going to beat us. Yeah. We need to be creative. We need to be open-minded to different new ideas. We need to take risks. A lot of them aren't going to work, but we need to find the things that do work. It's not about being new or different for the sake of new or different but it's our way of competing. We need to make every dollar go like $5 from some of those other teams. And I think that's a mindset that that really everybody in the organization tries to embrace. And the, the culture that we've been able to develop, the quality of people that we have here, all pulling in, in the same direction, that that is a huge component for us. Well, from the young talent, from the position standpoint to uh, the obvious talent in, in terms of the pitching staff that you guys have, I, th I know there's a lot of excitement among the Rays fans, and they're looking forward to you guys running it back for a fifth straight year. Peter Bendix, the GM of the Rays, thank you so much for your time uh, on this program today. Best of luck this season. Thanks for having me. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. 
All right, Chris, from In the Weeds, talking Rays baseball, we're going to zoom out a little bit, take a look around the league. And for that, we welcome in longtime big leaguer, won a World Series uh, back in 05. But uh, for more than a decade now, he's been a baseball analyst on Fox. A.J. Przinsky, we should also mention, host of the new streaming show on digital called Foul Territory. How you like This is more like an unbuttoned you know, baseball talk, right, A.J.? How you liking the new venture? <laughs> It's uh, it takes a lot of time. I know that. Uh, no, it's been great. Um, yes, unbuttoned is a is a good way to, to put it. Uh, we're we're very fortunate. We have a lot of players that come on and they want to give their stories, and uh, it's a little bit less scripted. It's definitely more scripted than like what you get on MLB Network. Uh, but at the same time, unscripted means more work for me and my guy Scott Braun and Eric Kratz and all the other people we have on because we have to dig in and find stuff that the players want to talk about. All right, let's dig in here. I mean, since we're located in Tampa, let's start with the AL East. Um, you know, last year, they were the only division to, to finish with four teams above 500. A lot of talent in the division. How, how do you see this one shaking out? Uh, we just did this yesterday on foul territory. We did our picks, and I picked the Yankees to win. You can see the Jeter jersey above my shoulder. But <laughs> not because of that, but just because the Yankees have a, a surp, uh, just a deep lineup and a, a deep pitching staff. I know there's some, they're banged up right now, and – the Jays are going to be tough, and I never count out the Rays right. just because I've said this before, and I'll say it again. They're the best organization in all sports. Somehow they find ways to get it done with almost no resources, a, a stadium that's not ideal, uh, and just not not a lot of things there to go. And they figure out ways to make guys better than what you think they should be, and they figure out what guys are good at, and they make them great at it, and they use them until they can't do it anymore, and then they go on to the next guy, and they do it year after year. And they're always there until the end. Well, AJ, one of the big off-season talking points, and we've seen it put into play during spring training, are the rule changes, the tweaks, the pitch clock, the larger bases, the rules against the shift. Um, how do you think that's going to impact the game, and is it ultimately going to result in a better product and a faster game? I certainly hope so. I, I think I think a faster game for sure. Uh, better product is debatable. I'm all for. Listen, I always thought if you couldn't hit away from the shift, then I don't know what you're doing. But I think it'll bring more action. And the bigger bases definitely will bring more action with stealing. And uh, I'm all for stealing. I'm for hitting running. I'm for bunting. I'm for making things happen. I'm not for strikeouts, home runs, and walks, the three true outcomes that people talk about. I'm for action. Let's see. I want to see guys run. I want to see guys show skills other than power. And I think these new rules will help accentuate what guys can do other than just hit the ball out of the ballpark. And I think it will change baseball for the good and make it more exciting. I know why you want to see more steal attempts. You were a catcher, an all-star catcher. You want to see more <laughs> players getting gunned out there at second base. Uh, I, I couldn't do that very well. I couldn't do that. I, I could only, I could hit. I, throwing was, I mean, I could throw fine, but I, trust me, when a guy, fast guy got on first, I was like, Please, please let him swing at the first pitch so he doesn't steal. Well, let's talk about your throwing and your catching. I believe you're throwing out the first pitch at the White Sox home opener next week. Uh, have you considered throwing to yourself, perhaps throwing a high arcing pitch and then sprinting behind home plate and catching yourself? Have you thought about that? No. Well, first of all, you guys, if you watch me play, you know I'm not very fast. So I'd have to throw it really high in order to get there in time. Um, no, I, I think um, I, I know who I want to catch it. Uh, but I don't know if they're going to do it. I, I want uh, one of the White Sox front office people to catch it. Uh, Bob Bechtel, who's like their PR guy, but he, I don't think he will because I don't know if he can catch. Uh, <laughs> but I think uh, I think uh, Chris Johnson, who's a buddy of mine, who's their assistant hitting coach for the White Sox, is going to catch it. And 
Um, I, I want to do it with my son. My son has school, unfortunately. So, uh, but somebody will be out there and uh, just, I pray that they don't have to scoop it out of the dirt and I get it there in the air. Yeah. You got to get some warm up pitches in there for sure. AJ, who was the slowest pitcher you ever caught? Slowest, uh, miles per hour wise. That would, no, no, no. That oh, would, yeah. that would have a problem with this pitch clock. Yeah. Oh gosh. Uh, dude, I can name so many slow pitch. You <laughs> Darvish was like the slowest dude in the world. There were times where you're like falling asleep and he's really good, but there are times where you're like, can we please, please hurry this up. And then I had Mark Burley who was the complete opposite that would just get it and go. Kenny Rogers was another really slow one. And, and just, man, like, come on, dude. And he'd say, you'd ask him, Kenny, can you speed up? He goes, listen, if I start getting hit, I'm taking the air out of the ball, like in basketball and I'm slowing down their momentum. And he did it to a T. I would imagine you cramp up back there a little <laughs> bit if you take too long. Um, <laughs> all right. So you mentioned the Yankees and, you know, obviously Aaron judge signs his big off season deal. Um, you know, I, I know that we see this in a lot of sports that sometimes the the play dips after you sign your your mega millions contract. Uh, can do you do you believe he has the the makeup to keep the standard of play that he set for himself? I do, I, I absolutely do. I think I know. I talked to Rob Thompson, who was the bench coach for the Yankees. Now he's the manager of the Phillies. About him when he first came up, first game I ever called for Fox was a Rays Yankees game in Tampa, and I said, "What do you got on this Judge guy?" And he said, listen, I've seen one guy that's comparable to Derek Jeter, and it's Aaron Judge, makeup-wise. He goes, he comes to work every day. He doesn't doesn't go up or down. He plays, and he goes about it the right way. And if for someone like Rob Thompson to tell me that, that means a lot. So I think it'll be the same now. Can he hit 60-plus home runs again? I don't know. Yeah. But it sure was exciting when he did it last year. Sure was. Shohei Otani, uh, Forbes has come out with what he's going to be making uh, this year. So what, what was their guess? What was their guess? I think they said sixty-five million, and that's you know I think half of a little less than half of that is contract and then endorsements. The question to you, AJ, is how how vastly is he underpaid? Uh, right now, a lot, um, <laughs> a lot. Uh, but he's going to be a free agent, and there's some teams out there that are going to bid, they're going to put their whole franchise on the line for them. One of them is the Dodgers. The Dodgers, if you notice, they didn't make any big moves this year. Mm -hmm. And the rumor around baseball is that they are going all in on Otani. And listen, after what I watched in the World Baseball Classic, what I've seen him do in Anaheim the last few years, you get two players for the price of one. You get a top-of-the-rotation starting pitcher, and you get a middle-of-the-order hitter that you know, he doesn't play the outfield, but when he did, he was really good. So you get two players kind of for the price of one, and – his agent is, man, I want to be his agent because he's got to be drooling just waiting to see what the offers become. Let's talk about your roots there and uh, specifically the uh, the roots of your hair color. At one time, I'm looking at some colorful images here of this uh, dye blonde hair job you had. Uh, back to your roots in Orlando, though. Dr. Phillips, oh, there he is. He's got it. The if it's not on a bobblehead, it never existed. For our audience, that's right. It didn't happen. For our audio audience, he just produced a lovely uh, AJ Przinsky bobblehead that shows the the bleach blonde hair there. Um, you're from Orlando, grew up in Orlando. Are you still there? Or have you moved back? You're back in Orlando. Is that right? Uh, I never really left Orlando. Never really left. Um, okay. So whole, I was always here. I was always at a base in Orlando with my family. Uh, my kids have gone to school here. They're all their whole school career. So, yeah, I've always been here. Well, this is the most important question, being from Orlando. You're, you're roughly my age, which means you had the fortune or misfortune of growing up during the boy band era. <laughs> so if you had to join one of them, are you going Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, or 98 Degrees? Mm, good call. Well, I'm going NSYNC. 
and because Joey Fatone and I went to high school together. Did so you really? That's an easy, oh. Yes. So that's an easy in for me. And Johnny and Damon? Chris, you, Johnny Damon was there. Now yeah. there's a boy band there, Joey Fatone, Johnny Damon, and <laughs> you, you all had the hairstyles, man. <laughs> yeah, he had the long. Yeah, exactly. Johnny had the long hair, and uh, I had the blonde hair, and Joey had his hair, which was uh, Joey's special. But uh, yeah, so it's easy for me. In sync, and then Chris Kirkpatrick, who lived in Orlando for a long time, is a buddy of mine. So I would have an easy, and I could just hide in the back. Let those two guys do everything, and let Johnny fling his hair around, and I could just be the fourth guy. <laughs> How are the vocals? Yeah. Not good. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> we can cover that. My, yeah, they can auto-tune that. Yeah, I joked with my my. You're talking about me throwing out the first pitch. My wife and kids were like, "What are you doing? What are you doing in Chicago, Dad?" I'm like, "I'm throwing out the first pitch, and I'm singing the national anthem." And my daughter <laughs> looked at me like, "What? No, no way!" <laughs> good at hitting fastballs, not great at hitting the high note. Uh, you recently joined Twitter and Instagram. How did you manage to avoid that for so long? And any regrets yet? Yeah, a lot of regrets. Just joining. No, right. uh, you know how I, I just, I, I'm not a, I just don't want people to know what I'm doing. I, I guess you. is the main thing. Um, but now with the new show, Foul Territory, it's kind of a necessary evil. And it's actually been good uh, the couple weeks I've been on it because I've connected with a ton of people um, that I, from the past. Uh, just today, I got uh, something from Darren Erstad, a former teammate of mine who I kind of lost touch with. And some some guys that you just, and some people that you just don't, you just lose touch with over time have, have kind of appeared in your life. You get to catch up with them and, and talk to them again. And that's good. And also um, you guys mentioned opening day. I'm donating a, a dollar per follow at, at my Instagram and Twitter handles up to 25,000 uh, to white Sox charities for each follow I get up until opening day. And I think I'm at about uh, 14,000 right now. So I need to get to that 25. So make me spend my money, please. Yeah, man, that's a good call. Yeah. That, that may be a way to get in some Twitter uh, followers. You know, I, I would, I would imagine that your Twitter followers are going to get some mentions in there from the fan base. And you're one of those guys, a little bit of a, a lightning rod character as a, as a player. In fact, your former skipper, Ozzy Guillen said that opposing teams hated you and your teammates hated you just a little bit less. Were, were those was that fair did you enjoy kind of a role as an antagonist did you see yourself that way as a player uh i don't know that i saw myself that way i think um you know that's the quote from ozzy that just won't die right he's got a lot of them but that's the one that just won't go away um and i always joke with ozzy i tell him this to his face i said you know the opposite is true of you ozzy he goes what do you mean i said you know if you played against you you hated you a little bit if you played for you, you hated you a lot so at least on the other way touche and ozzy gets all yeah so ozzy gets all mad but um, you know, here's what I tell people. And I've, you know, as I've gotten older and I'm not playing anymore, I've kind of gotten into this and that's, you know, I played with a hate and I had to play with a hate and it didn't matter. And it wasn't personal and it wasn't, um, meant to take anybody, you know, out or, or meant to, to, to hurt anybody. I just, I had to manufacture the hate and that's how I got up to play every game was come at a competitive level. I had to hate the other team and sometimes I would fake it and sometimes I'd manufacture it. And sometimes there'd be a newspaper article or a radio interview and I heard something and I, I would just make it into my own kind of little ball of hate and <laughs> use it to go out there and play the game. And, um, but Hey, each guy does it differently. I'm not, I, I couldn't play nice. Uh, but I didn't mean anything towards anybody. And I think if you talk to the people that know me, they know that I'm not like that at all. 
AJ's little balls of hate. Right, I love yeah. it. Uh, so <laughs> there's a lot of those. There was a lot of them. It was like Mar- it was like maybe like BBs of hate. Ping pongs, <laughs> yeah. All right, so give us a sleeper this year. I mean, obviously, you mentioned the Dodgers, the Yankees. They're always going to be in the mix. The Astros seem to be sitting on top quite comfortably as the defending champs. Is there a team that you are particularly intrigued by this year that you feel like can sneak up on some teams? I, I think the NL is going to be the same six teams that made it last year. I mm. think the, the Cardinals, uh, the three teams from the East, the Braves, the the Mets and the Phillies, and then the West is going to be the Padres, Padres and the Dodgers again. The American League is a little more intriguing to me. I think the Astros are probably head and shoulders above everybody else, especially when Tuve comes back. Um, the East is, gosh, I, I'm going to, you guys are going to think I'm a homer. But the two teams that I'm most intrigued to see how they do, well, there's three really, but uh, the Twins, the White Sox, and the Rays are the three because they can. I could you can make a case right that those three teams could be really good or right. they could go really bad. So I think those three teams to me are the most intriguing. I, I think the Yankees and the Jays are probably the two teams you can count on the most in the East. The, the Guardians in the Central, the Astros and the Mariners, and then there's those three other teams there that kind of are going to be fighting it out. I feel like for that last wild card spot. And there's just so many arguments you can make either way. When, when is Glass now coming back, right? right? Who's going to stay healthy for the White Sox? Can the Twins find enough runs and enough pitching because they didn't have it last year? So those three teams, Amir, are the three that I'm like, okay, who's going to who's going to be the the sixth team in the AL to come out? Well, the middle-aged boy band uh, <laughs> featuring AJ and Johnny and uh, Joey. I think your name is the Balls of Hate. I think That's there's it. a chance that you could relaunch this thing. The little hate balls. Well, we appreciate your time. Thank you for the insights, and we look forward. Make sure you're following him on Twitter so that money gets donated to a good cause. He is A.J. Pruszynski. Thank you so much, Thanks, AJ. AJ. Thanks, guys. Have a great time. Well, Chris, if that didn't get you salivating for the baseball season, I'm not mm. sure what will, except for maybe cereal. Uh, as you can see, we have bowls of cereal here on the table uh, we're not going to tell you what the contents are yet. Don't show. Please don't, don't show with your unmatching bowls. What happened here? I uh, didn't wash enough bowls at home. Sorry. So we had to borrow This came one from, from the, the Cato collection, right? Oh, that smells good. Okay. Don't tell people what's I in it. All right. Okay. BK, come on back in. Uh, it's time now to reveal our, our cereal Super Bowl, as you have a, appropriately named it. Hopefully trademarked it and make you a little, make you a little money there out you of go. this little experiment. So we were down to the Frosted Four last week. Let's go ahead and uh, our, take a look at them. Okay. Our viewers yeah. uh, got busy uh, plugging away on their thumbs and uh, started voting for for new. Pretty uh, big matchups. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Well, there, so there we go. Okay. There this it is. is it. Wow. So, no surprise to us. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, the one seed. Well, I, you know, I would push back a little bit. I mean, Lucky Charms, there's a lot of loyal Lucky Charms munchers out there. And you, <laughs> and you really pushed hard. I mean, I felt like I the did. last few weeks, you finally, I don't know if you've washed the shirt, but you were wearing a Lucky Charm shirt, as everybody noticed, for the last uh, few weeks. Milk stained, yes. You were pushing it. And even yeah. despite your marketing attempt, no, it didn't. It's still CTC. Because people know what they want. And uh, so then you have. Uh, and then I think the surprise was, you know, Honey Nut Cheerios shouldn't have been there, but somehow it was. And so Frosted Flakes, I think, had an easy pass to the championship It was game a there. good run, man. I mean, Honey Nut Cheerios, like uh, FAU, I mean, it's similar. Not to say that FAU is going to lose. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I think that people really underestimated what uh, HNC brought to the table. So here we go. We have a classic rematch. It's Tony the Tiger against uh, whoever the mascot is for Cinnamon Toast. The chef. Isn't it a chef Is guy? it a chef? Yeah. Uh, as we are um, – 
of course, breaking down this this final, we, we have to do a little taste test. Well, we were the we are the seating committee, right? So we're kind of we responsible. So now we need right. to before we give the audience the final vote. I think it's important for us to refresh our taste buds, taste these two finalists. Taste it anew. Taste, taste it, it like yes. it's a, a baby palate, like you've never tasted it before. Yeah, this is the close your eyes, dive in, and just yeah. let it the, let the senses immerse. Mommy, a little milk, and then and then you eat like a baby. Uh, yeah. Okay. So All right. With that have... being said, can we bring in the milkman? So we'll welcome in Ron. Ron is of course Hi, a, a member of the Nod Pod production crew. And uh, what what do we have here? What percentage? Uh, oh, he even opened it for us. Okay, now don't touch it anymore. Okay, <laughs> all right, it's too many cooties. And what's the uh, Best Buy date? Are we? Is this expired? Uh, April 9th. April 9th. Okay. And so as we tape this, it is April twelfth. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're still in March as we're we tape still, this. Okay, we got some time. So we got two percent. I think that is the appropriate percentage. Wouldn't you yeah. agree? Okay. All right, so I uh, appreciate it, Ron. Thank you so much for, for the milk. Would you like to do the pouring? And and I'll kind of describe um, how Kato pours his cereal milk. Because yeah. I was going to ask important. Ron to pour it for me. but Okay, he's going straight middle, and yeah. this is kind of a, a high drop zone here. A lot of splash. <laughs> well, I've got a big bowl. Oh, wow, we got some splashes. <laughs> and you'll see I have like a small milk to cereal ratio. I like more, much more cereal than milk. Really? Yeah. Because you appreciate the crunchiness? Oh, because I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, okay. Well, Thank you for your sensitivity. <laughs> you get some bubbles? Yeah, it's gonna get interesting Bubbles here in the a tummy. Moment. Okay, yeah. all right. So uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm more. I like a little bit more milk. You went. Like you went dead little, center too. Oh, you're going like on the spoon little. now. That's risky. Yeah. All right. I okay. try to find a little crevice in the cereal um, to where it can enter, kind of like a little uh, cereal cavern yeah. for the milk to go. No. All right, so what are you going with first? Well, strategy with Cinnamon Toast Crunch is to I let it sit. I let, okay. the, I so let the spices and the cinnamon marinate, and okay. so I'm going Frosted Flakes first. Okay. Because I think Frosted Flakes, the longer they sit, the worse they are. That's true. So I'm go I, I want them to crunch. You so can hear, let, here we go. You can hear the crunching, so I'm going to. Let me get the ASMR here. Yeah, mm. I mean, the crunch is mm. it's coming mm. through the microphone quite cl clearly. It's better than I remember. Really? Maybe it's because I skipped breakfast and lunch today, okay. but this is pretty good. All right, let me let me give it a shot as well. As you're eating, I'll describe the notes I'm getting here. I get um, corn syrup. I get fructose. I get the, um, the frosting. Um, you know, it tastes like cornflakes, like sweet cornflakes. Do you pick up on the corn? Definitely corny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I mean, Frosted Flakes, I feel like, is just, it's a good staple. Like, nobody's going to snub their nose at Frosted Flakes. Right. You know? It's but, easy to eat. It does get in your teeth a little bit, um, but it's it's light, you know? Yeah, it is. Does it live Flaky? up to the marketing? Is Tony the Tiger overselling it when he says, they're great? I think he is. A little. Uh, you've said that every every show for the last four weeks. Um, yeah, no, I think he is, but that's his job, right? Yeah, I mean, he has one job, and that is to oversell the cereal. But it, it, it is pretty good. I, I don't know if I'd say they're great, but I'd say they're they're pretty good. They're pretty good. <laughs> what if he said that? That doesn't do it, does it? All, All right, right, here we go. You, go ahead. Cinnamon I'm toast not sure crunch. about the aftertaste of Frosted Flakes yeah. because the sugar goes away, but you still You're get right. the – the traditional cornflake in your I'm going to cleanse teeth. my palate. All right. So, I mean, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, this is college for me, right? The freshman 15. That's how it happened. Oh, he's 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 chewing. He's enjoying. Oh, his eyes are closed. It's so good. Oh, he's going back to his I college mean, days. It's sweet cereal nectar right here. Let's, I mean, this is see. 
how God intended cereal to taste. I haven't had this stuff in about a year or so. Yeah. That's that's a lie. About a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just mm. there's a little bit more substance to mm-hmm. it. Uh, it doesn't have the stick in your teeth as much, um, and it's cinnamon goodness. Yep. I mean, it's the the amount of cinnamon sugar per square inch on the the cereal is you can't beat it. Yeah. I, Those little squares are, got, are heaven sent. Mm. Mm. And then, of course, the best part is you finish the cereal and you have this nectar, this cinnamony milk. Beverage. I don't even like to wait until the cereal's gone. You go ahead and drink I it? I like to drink it when okay. there's still floaters in there. And still floaters. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to try that since you suggested yeah. okay. it. Okay. <laughs> oh, there he goes. <laughs> That's, oh my gosh! Slurping this, is too this much. should be bottled. This is too much. Why is this not? Let's just skip right. the cereal and drink the cinnamon milk. So there you have it. Can we see the bracket one more time, just so everybody knows what we're voting on? Of course, what we have sampled is Frosted Flakes against Cinnamon Toast Crunch in the cereal bowl, the first ever, the inaugural. And uh, I think it's clear to say that you and I are both Team CTC all the way. And, it, yeah. and we called it from the very beginning. We don't want to influence your vote, but yeah, we're, we're kind of right about I, this. I don't think people take what we say uh, that seriously. So I think that we don't have to worry about influencing <laughs> oh. their vote. But we encourage you to try it yourself, you know. And if yeah. Kellogg's or General Mills wants to reach out and, uh, you know, we have agents, we can you can touch base. and You know where to find us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, BK, do you have a thought on, on this? Did you appreciate watching us eat? And listening to you eat. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Did that give you good warm and fuzzies? It's, yeah, it's, it is good. Okay. It's, it's kind of, I think we've, uh, it's a, it was a good run we had with this, this uh, cereal bracket, I thought. You've tasted both of these, and Chris didn't want to give you any more because no. um, no, he fine. wants to keep it. So, but you've tasted them both. What do you think? I mean, I don't have the draw to Cinnamon Toast Crunch that you had, you know? Growing yeah. up as a kid, I yeah. have all those memories with Frosted Flakes. It's just how you were raised. Yeah, well, it's just, yeah. A little different. But, but you Brian, know, if Brian. I had to go from straight flavor, it's got to be Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, straight flavor. It's But it's a it's a, a crunchiness. It's the it's milk absorption. It's all the factors that we've laid out when we laid out our, our, our final 16. So. Right. Well, in one week, we announced the the champion and will there be a uh, net cutting or a i guess it would be a what would you cut down i think a we'll bowl? just um a bowl would you yeah why don't Maybe, we get a dunk we... tank Ooh. oh and dunk you both into whatever to win <laughs> i love is. this idea yeah i can't share the same tank i was gonna say Kendall. whatever I, comes off his body I, in that bowl <laughs> is not I, what i want to is it a tank filled with milk <laughs> yeah I, I will not drink that milk afterwards <laughs> How could you not? I mean, you have to go in, just take a big bite on the way in. Man, now that sounds amazing. Maybe we could see if that's in the budget here. Yeah, we'll work on that. Okay. Well, fun. Good well, times. Good job, guys. Get to voting. Uh, again, fox13news.com slash nodpod to vote. Uh, and that's where you find the show as well. Much thanks to our guests, uh, A.J. Pruszynski from Fox, mm-hmm. and then, of course, Peter Bendix, the GM of the Rays, hoping for a big season ahead for our hometown team. Uh, That is all. Until the next time we are on, there are no off days. Enjoy the cereal. They're pretty good.